Kia ora koutou. so awesome to have you guys all here listening again, joining me for another, another episode today, so thank you. Um, today I wanted to talk to you guys about the topic of making informed decisions, because I think it's really bloody important um, to, yeah, to not just be following the crowd but and doing what's normal but um, to have done the research and know both sides of the story and to be making a decision that feels right for you and your family and your circumstances so basically when um, after I found out I was pregnant um, like pretty early on I realized that I needed to start making decisions around the well-being of somebody else that wasn't me as in um, the baby that was growing inside my puku and this is like a big responsibility right this is the first time I'd really um, encountered something like that because you know if you're making decisions for yourself it's you you're the one who deals with the consequences but if you stuff up your child then that's just your own fault now <laughs> um, but you know that's, that's the sort of this sort of uh, thinking that can go on so I realized that all of a sudden I had to think about what I was eating, you know, what food was actually putting in my body because it wasn't just affecting me, it was affecting the baby. I had to think about what supplements I was going to take during this pregnancy, Um, whether I could keep doing yoga, you know, like um, whether I had to make the choice to do twists or not to do twists, to do inversions or not and all these things. Um, whether or not it was safe to go rock climbing anymore, you know, like because the harness, it goes right around um, your stomach and I had to decide whether I thought that was safe. Um, Ultrasound scans and even where to birth, these are all decisions that I realized I needed to make. And that's just the beginning, um, yeah, of of a lifetime of now making decisions um, about Fern until you know until she's old enough to be able to make those decisions herself so like I said it's a big responsibility and I found along the way that some of the decisions were really intuitive like often even without researching I just or I just knew what felt right and then like later I discovered that um it actually had a name and there was like a uh, a whole style of doing things in this way um but yeah, it would just be like a gut reaction and instinct. Um, But other decisions required actually a lot of research and debate between Dylan and myself to work out um, what we wanted to do. But in all, we were really fortunate to have a midwife who provided unbiased information and who gave us both sides of the story. And I think... I think our whole journey would have been so, so different if we had had a different midwife. Um, I can't actually speak too much about it, not having been in the position myself, but if you had a more um, mainstream midwife, I assume, and from just from anecdotes I've heard from friends and cousins, that there's just quite like a set way of doing things. And... One of my main messages to you guys today is that you always have a choice. We're really lucky here in New Zealand. We have a lot of autonomy and choice. Um, But sometimes we just don't know about it. We don't know that we have options. And so I think some midwives maybe um, just portray that this is what you do. And because, you know, we're blimmin', we're busy people. We've got a lot going on. And you just go, okay, cool. Yep, um, I get these three ultrasound scans, sweet, I'll go get them done, I do this diabetes test, I take this supplement, and then you're good to go. And I understand that, I really do, but um, I, I just, like I said, I think it's really important to know both sides of the story so you can make that informed decision, because it's not just about you anymore, it's about somebody else. Um, yeah, and just that too often we follow the crowd without stopping to think and check um, for negative side effects or 
consequences of that choice even with like medication that we choose to take right like the doctor just prescribes it and you trust them and their judgment and you just take it but every medication you know if you read the leaflet that's inside the box has this big long list of potential negative side effects Um, and I just think in general we could probably be a bit better at um, asking questions finding out more information and being aware of the risks and then making that decision once you've got all the information. So yeah, basically I just wanted to bring to attention some procedures and decisions around pregnancy and birth that you may not have realized were optional. Um, So I've got a big long list of everything I could think of. Um, but I'm sure there's more. So in short, I'd like the message is just to question everything because, um, yeah, I don't know. For me, that just feels good and that feels right to know that that I've actually made a proper informed decision. So I think the very first decision I had to make was who my midwife was going to be. And, you know, it's pretty easy to just be like, oh, my um, boyfriend's sister's friend, you heard that she had a good mi- good midwife. So, you know, it's like when you enter this world and it's compl- everything is so new and so foreign. And so, you know, you latch on to something like that and you go, cool, can I have her number, please? You get it, you call her up and you book her in to be your midwife. But this is a person that you're going to be seeing on a regular basis. They're going to be at one of like the most amazingly special and important moments in your life, giving birth to your child. And, you know, and it's a very um, intimate and sacred thing as well. So you really want someone there who you get along with well and that you um, feel really safe and comfortable around. So, um, what I would really recommend to you is when you speak to them for the first time, like absolutely like follow up those recommendations. It's like one of the, the best ways is word of mouth, right? But don't just lock them in straight away. I would, what we did was we went and met up with, um, we actually <laughs> just found uh, on the, I think it was the Auckland Vegans page, there were some recommendations for midwives who were vegan friendly. And so we looked up their profiles on the um, New Zealand midwifery site and basically just chose the one who we just like read her little bio and we were like, she just sounds like our sort of person. So we called her up, um, but we just said, hey, can we just meet up and have a little chat first, just get to know each other, see if we think it would be a good fit. So we did that. Um, We asked her some questions and I left just knowing straight away that I felt really comfortable um, around her and I felt I felt like she would listen to me and support my decisions um, which was really important so I mean you don't want to be putting up with someone who um, yeah who, if you feel like they won't listen to you if you don't feel like they understand you and the sort of birth pregnancy and birth that you would like to have um or even if you just don't feel like you can be fully honest and like stand up for yourself, then those are all like massive warning signs, right? Like then I would definitely try at least a couple of others and keep just meeting out with midwives until you find one that feels um, right for you. Because yeah, like I said, they're going to be around a lot and can have a massive impact on how your pregnancy and birth goes, I do believe. So there's your first choice, make an informed one. (laughs) Um, The second decision I think I had to make was around supplements. And again, I was just like, oh my God, where do I even start with this? Um, And, you know, it would be really easy to just go into the chemist and just ask the staff there um, for Uh, their recommended prenatal vitamin and just grab you know the first one that they give you and take that but I think like some other questions to ask yourself maybe instead of just doing that is 
actually doing some research and going, what supplements do I think are actually necessary for pregnancy? You know, talk with your midwife about it, do your own research, talk with other people. Um, because there's a lot out there, there's a lot of choices and yeah, it can be tricky. So seek out that information and decide which ones you think are actually necessary to help that baby growing inside you and to help keep you healthy at the same time. Another question is, is it in its, is the supplement in its synthetic form or in its natural form? So for example, when you first go to the doctor um, to get a blood test and confirm that you're pregnant, they write your prescription straight away to start on folic acid and, oh, what's the other one, is it iodine? Um, but folic acid is actually the synthetic version of that supplement. The natural uh, form is folate and the natural form is actually much better for you than the synthetic one surprisingly <laughs> um, or you know better again you could just there's the um, option that you could just have a go at getting that through your food which is what I ended up doing um, what does my body specifically need we are all so different right you can't just make this one magic pill that fixes us all or um, balances us all out and gives us what we need we yeah we're just different in every way so uh, you know you you know or otherwise you can do some research into actually getting a blood test and check what am I low in what do I need to boost my stores of what am I already getting from my food and so you know you might not need to take some supplements and you might need extra of others so it's good to actually check in with what you and your body needs. Um, you might also want to check if, if it's important to you, if the ingredients are organic or not. It's another thing on my list. And I know this all sounds like a lot. It takes time, right? Like, a heck of a lot of time. I feel like I spend half my life sometimes doing research about the tiniest random little things that relate to fern these days, but um, I really love it, so I don't mind it, and I'm really lucky to have the time to do it. But, you know, it would be so much easier to just be ignorant and, you know, just do what someone else recommended or um, take the first option that you're told about. And, you know, sometimes you'll do that, and other times you will be able to do some more research and work out the best fit for you. It's all a balance, and it's all just going back to what feels best for you and just how important you know these certain decisions are you know do they have um, are these going to have a big impact or just a little impact and maybe choose wisely where to put your time um, but yeah I just I know for me personally that it's been so worth it just to be able to say like that um, I did everything I could I controlled the parts that I could control and just like left the rest up to the universe. Like that makes me, you know, happy and proud at the end of the day to be able to say that. And this of course doesn't just apply to pregnancy and to birth and to bringing up children. This is just like life in general, right? Like we should be asking questions about lots of things like, where is my food coming from? Am I getting it flown in from halfway across the world? Or am I buying local and in season? What am I putting on my skin? You know, are you putting lots of chemicals on your skin daily that are being absorbed and are actually toxic in your body? Where does my rubbish go once it leaves the bin inside my house and once that um, wheelie bin outside gets emptied? Where does it go then? What happens to it? It disappears from our mind, but, you know, it still exists. So, yeah. It's, it's a way of, of living, right, to be um, always seeking out, seeking out this knowledge and being curious and open and just wanting to know more so that you can do the best that you can. And one really cool tool that I wanted to share with you guys um, to help make these decisions is an acronym called BRAIN and it stands for thinking through your options of um, B is for the benefits, R is thinking about the risks, A is thinking about alternatives, 
eye is thinking about instinct or what does your you know your gut tell you and n stands for nothing what would happen if we chose to do nothing and I, I definitely use this to help me make some decisions, especially when it came to, um, to writing my birth plan. Um, it was, yeah, it was super important for me to be really organized and have all of that research and thinking and um, those decisions made so that when... Um, you know, if one of those scenarios was playing out, for example, like I had planned a home birth, if I did need to be transferred to hospital and, you know, things end up looking quite differently, that I had very specific guidelines and um, decisions made about things beforehand. And so, you know, it wasn't like you're in the heat of the moment and baby's stuck and you're going and they're going, we want to use forceps. And you're going, what are forceps? Like what? what risks and benefits are there of this and alternatives and um yeah so I think when it comes to your birth plan to have thought through all of those uh potential different pathways that your birth and everything could take all those different options to have them sorted beforehand and you know I'd have like a plan a b and c and like you know from best to worst case scenario um that is just what felt really good to me to do that work to be prepared and then to just let it go and then just focus on the positive like on the best version of that on the birth that I was um that I was really focused on allowing to happen and knowledge is power right so um I've heard people mention before things like I'm not allowed to do that or my doctor won't let me. Um, Like, for example, if going past 38 weeks or your due date, like saying, oh, my doctor says I have to be induced now. But you always have a choice, right? Like, of course, you want to listen to their, um, their, you know, informed medical opinion. That's really important. But you also want to check, like, because they're focusing on the benefits, right, that, Um, that's what they're looking at but it's also important to be aware of the risks to think are there alternative options and um, you know what does my gut say and what would happen if we did nothing you always have a choice so I've just got a big list here um, of a whole bunch more examples of where you have a choice and Um, some I'll just mention really briefly and others I want to elaborate on a little bit so here we go number one is the flu vaccination in pregnancy you don't have to have this I chose not to Um, yeah and as always like I know I feel like I don't even need to say it it's just implicit but I'll say it anyway Um, some some of these I will share like what we chose to do because I think that helps people to hear like for example probably most of them we chose not to do and so you know it's just nice to hear that um somebody has actually you know made those choices and you know ferns turned out all right so far (laughs) um but of course you need to do what feels best and what feels right for you and your situation and your child and your family so yeah um the second is diabetes testing that you get in pregnancy For me, I also chose not to do this one because I know that I eat a really good, healthy, whole foods, plant-based diet and that my chances of having gestational diabetes were so small. I didn't have a history of it um, and I didn't have any of the symptoms. So to me, I was just like, why on earth would I put myself through getting that testing done when, yeah, to me, yeah, to me, it just didn't make sense. So I chose not to do that. The third one is ultrasound scans. This is a big one that I am going to expand on because I think these days it's just seen as absolutely the normal and it's it's what you do, right? You have, I guess, the general um, like normal set of scans would be having the three scans during your pregnancy. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, 
um, excitement around getting to see that picture of your baby and like don't get me wrong I fully understand that and you know I've heard people say like oh that was you know I was able to like really believe and like connect with my baby when I saw that um, that picture on the ultrasound and I think that's really beautiful and really special but um, I also don't think that they are all necessary um, and that ultrasound scans are as safe as we are led to believe that it's become a little bit too um, too much of like you know showing off your picture um, what am I trying to say it's not coming out exactly how I want to there's a lot of novelty around yeah being able to put that scan on Instagram or on Facebook and share it with people without I think people realizing that there can be potential negative consequences of those ultrasound scans so I just wanted to run through um, that tool I gave you guys of using the acronym BRAIN and apply it to the situation of say you were deciding whether or not to get ultrasound scans um, and so this is where you know I think where I wonder if perhaps more mainstream midwives would just say here's your you know you have your first scan at what is it um oh I don't think I wrote it down did I my um memory is not the best oh here okay no I do have it um I think you have it around 12 to 14 weeks that first scan so you know, your midwife might just say, you have a scan, here's the paperwork, fill it out, go get it done, and that's what you do. And you might not even just stop and think, like, hold on, like, is this best for me and my baby and our family? Like, could it cause them any possible damage? Is this safe? Has it been tested? Um, but whereas with my midwife, she she did provide us with that choice she said you have the option of having a scan now if you wish and if you think it's necessary um but in saying that I did actually when I looked on the ministry of health the website about um ultrasound scans it does actually say you will be offered a scan at 12 to 14 weeks or whatever it is so um yeah maybe that's just um, maybe I've got that story wrong in my head, but yeah, I just feel like they've become <clears throat> very common in the norm when maybe we should be a little bit more concerned. Okay, so here's applying it to um, brain. So B stands for the benefits. So some of the benefits of having an ultrasound scan. It can obviously, it confirms that you're pregnant. So it might be nice for you um, to double check if you, you'd had the blood test results back, but you're still kind of like, oh, I don't know. Um, they're super beneficial in checking if the egg has implanted in the uterus correctly and you know that's your safety um, at risk there so you know that is a big benefit of getting that first one um, another benefit is to see if your baby has formed quote unquote normally uh, so that's that middle that second anatomy scan you know they check literally every single part of your baby, their fingers, their toes, their limbs, um, the chambers of the heart. So uh, obviously that's amazing technology that we could know all that long before uh, we even get to see and meet our baby. Um, and you can check the size. So all great things. And I fully understand why uh, people choose to get them. But the next one being risks and these I don't think are often talked about or well known and the main one that I found with my research was that ultrasound has never been properly tested on developing human beings although there are studies showing damage to animals that it can affect their brain structure um, and long-term effects have never been studied so you know that's kind of like ringing a few alarm bells for me going hold on this isn't quite as safe as we may be uh, led to believe alternatives what other options are there if I choose that I don't want to have scans um, 
So one alternative option is only having an ultrasound scan if you believe there is a complication or if things don't feel right. So, you know, just waiting and seeing um, how your pregnancy is going and how you feel. If you feel great, you're tuned in with baby, they feel good, they feel healthy, your midwife's happy with how everything's looking. Um, maybe you don't need to get any at all. And uh, I have a friend who did this. She chose to get no scan. She had a completely intervention-free pregnancy. Um and everything was fine and yeah I thought that was really really brave of her to stand up and make that choice um you can choose to just have some and not others and that's actually what we ended up doing so we didn't get the very first one um we got the middle one the um when was it the 20 week scan the anatomy scan um and the reason we decided to do that one in the end was Dylan was quite uh, worried and uh, yeah had like quite a bit of anxiety around our baby possibly having like a disability uh, like Down syndrome or some chromosomal abnormality Uh, so for him getting that test done and you know they can't like completely confirm uh, or Um, or not anything but they can give you a better idea and so we had that done and things look pretty good and so that was able to put his mind at ease a bit more so you know that was us weighing up um, the benefits and the risks and going for an alternative and uh, just having one of the three scans. Uh, Another option is just having it at the smallest dose possible so that's saying going with don't go get that 3d ultrasound scan you can get these days because I'm sure that they must have to boost um the level up so high to be doing that and you know the longer that ultrasound scan is on your belly and on your baby like the more um the more risk there is right so you could you know call around Um, the different clinics and find uh, somebody who will just you know do the scan in the shortest and quickest amount of time possible to get the information they need that's another option Um, I instinct what does your gut say only you can answer that one um and last one nothing what would happen if we did nothing or chose not to have any scans um and here I just want to add because I actually had a really great conversation with a friend about this she messaged me saying hey um we've got a potential scan coming up soon and I can't decide whether I want to have it or not like I'm really uh, funny it really hard to make this decision and I completely empathize because you know with all of these you can fully see both sides um, but her um, her history and her situation were very different to when I was making that decision so um, I said to her if you're going to be really anxious and wondering you know like every day like is my baby okay like um I wish I'd had that scan then I just would have known and um then that doesn't sound like that's the right decision for you if getting that scan puts your mind at ease and allowing you know you to not stress and so your body to not be stressed and your baby to not be stressed then that probably is the best option for you that's weighing up the benefits and the risks um but a perspective that I always tried to take it back to and again it's much easier said than actually done um, is always trying not to make decisions from a place of fear but instead to make them from a place of love and choosing to trust in my body and the process and that it knows exactly what it's doing or um, yeah just kind of more like leaving it up to fate or up to the universe that whatever will be will be Um, And yeah, Dylan and I had a lot of debate about this topic of the scans. It's something we were quite divided on. So yeah, I think we came to like a really nice compromise. 
um, in the end. But I remember we'd always go back to that nagging thought of like, what if, like if we chose to have no scans, what if something was wrong and if we found out earlier and we could have maybe done something about it? Um, that was a big one for us. But so, yeah, it's doing that research and going, okay, if this is wrong, like what could we actually do and would we actually choose to do that? So, yeah, <laughs> this one is a big topic. Um, but I did find this quote, which I thought was really great, and that was, that current advice to women is that since alcohol in large quantities clearly damages babies in the womb, the only safe strategy is total abstinence. Ultrasound at high levels has been shown to damage growing brains. Maybe we should adopt a cautious strategy here too. So I'll leave you with that, um, with that to think about. Oh, and I always remember that my midwife would say, like, um... She said, when you're getting your scan done, you'll notice that baby starts moving often when uh, when they put the, I don't know, what's it called, the radar, <laughs> whatever on your stomach. Um, and she said, that's not because they're enjoying themselves or they're showing off for you. It's because there's actually a lot of heat that radiates out of that ultrasound and they're feeling that and they're moving to get away from it and that kind of yeah that just made me go okay I don't think I want to do one of these unless it's really necessary all right more things we have a choice number four was where to birth that one's pretty self-explanatory but you know again some people just go you birth in a hospital that's what you do right they might not or they might only know about the hospital or a home birth, which sounds like far too crazy and hippie. And, um, but, you know, there's in-between choices like birth care or, yeah, again, always options. Number five is uh, being induced. You have a choice about whether you want to get that done or not. Fetal, number six is fetal monitoring and labor. Number seven, having meconium in your waters, meaning a transfer to hospital. There's a certain time limit that they have on this, right? That your midwives um, will inform you of. Uh, I'm going to take a guess. I vaguely remember. I think it was some, like either 12 or 24 hours. So say your waters break and they're slightly like dirty or discolored. And that means there's meconium in the waters, which is the first poo that your baby does. And it's often a signal that your baby is distressed in the womb. And so as a safety precaution, they say that if you haven't gone into, um, I th I'm guessing it's like if you haven't gone into active labor for whatever the uh, time period is, that you then need to transfer to hospital. And so if this was happening, um, like say this happened to us, my midwife would have had to say that to me. She said, okay, Rosalie, it's been this long. I need to advise you to transfer to hospital. But I still have the choice to say, no, I want to wait a bit longer. But, you know, I wouldn't just want to make that in the heat of the moment again. Um, I had it in my birth plan. I'd already done my research and I knew that, uh, you know, depending on what certain other tests and results were showing and the midwife checking in with me and the baby, that there is actually the possibility to wait it out a bit longer um, and everything to still be safe and okay. But obviously it's very situational um, and depends, but you do have a choice. Number eight, having vaginal examinations to check your dilation. I didn't have any of these. They weren't necessary. Um, it was in my birth plan. I didn't want them in case, like my midwife definitely knew, but just in case she, you know, she wasn't there for any number of reasons. Um, whoever was there knew that that was a wish of mine, you know, unless absolutely necessary if it was um, an emergency and they really need to check of course you know at the end of the day it's like that choice of having a home birth people are like but will you go to the hospital if something's going wrong and it's like of course like I'm so grateful for hospitals and doctors um, and all of their knowledge and research in these emergency situations but it's when it's not that that I think we just need to take a step back and realize sometimes that intervention isn't the better option um, pain relief and labor, you have a choice. 
the position that you're in. So if you get, um, if you're in the hospital and if you watch any movie, usually uh, the way that a woman gives birth is lying down in a bed. But, um, okay, the, <laughs> the way that my midwife would always explain it was, think about trying to do a poo. Think about lying down in your bed and trying to do a poo. Like, does that feel like it would be good or easy? And you think, no, right? And it's the same, like, motion and sensation and action of giving birth. So you want to be standing up on all fours like crouched over in a squat all of those positions I mean think about gravity right like you want gravity to help you to push your baby out um and lying on a bed isn't the ideal position for that so um yeah just know that if you're in hospital you don't have to be in that bed you can choose to get up to move around to lean on the bed to be in the position you feel comfortable um, choosing whether or not to for forceps to be used if you want uh, delayed cord cutting if you want a lotus birth where the umbilical cord and the placenta stay attached um, until they until it naturally you know dries up and falls off you have that choice um, if you end up having a cesarean you have the choice of taking some of that vaginal fluid and rubbing it over the baby to get those oh what is it um all I can think of is juices <laughs> um, which it is that oh but all of the um the good bacteria that um help to seed your baby's gut and that they get if you have a vaginal birth can be missed when you have a cesarean right so you can you can do these things that even if it's not your um, dream birth that's happening, um, there's still little steps you can take to make it, you know, make that situation a bit better and have the best outcome for you and your baby. Um, choosing to have skin on skin and to breastfeed your baby straight away. This one, I was so massive on you guys, like in my birth plan. I just had it written out so clearly that I was like, if I end up in hospital or if anything, yeah, anything to do with being in hospital, like, I, like, don't care unless it's an absolute emergency or absolutely cannot happen. Like, I want my baby put straight on my chest, have skin on skin. If I'm not available to do that, then I want it to be with Dylan, with um, her dad. And if, like, my baby has to be taken away from me, then, like, Dylan must go with her like I don't want her being by herself so yeah some other things to think about okay um a few things for after the birth so it's recommended that you give your baby vitamin k just straight after they've been born we decided that that wasn't necessary um cleaning or washing your baby I saw I saw this happening in a friend's Instagram story of their newborn baby. They had a hospital birth and yeah, it was just an image of the baby in a cute little baby bathtub just being bathed in very soapy, bubbly water. Um, and it was just such a strange sight to me uh, just because because it's not something that I would have ever wanted to do or yeah, or have chosen for fern um simply because um uh, I'm just like a big believer actually I feel like I'm gonna do a whole podcast on this it's like uh kind of like natural hygiene like um for you and your baby so with fern she she's only ever been washed with water just plain water like or I mean if she's in the ocean salt water or just bath water shower water that's it um yeah I just I have the belief that lots of things are far too clean these days and that soap and um body wash and things you put on your skin can actually wash away the good bacteria and the the good layers that are there and protecting your skin and um all work in harmony to balance your body and keep it it running well so uh yeah to me there's uh, yeah I just it's it's not a choice that I would make. And so if 
you know, if we had ended up in hospital, that's something I absolutely would have said, like, don't take my baby away and clean them, please. Like, I'm so happy to just have them as they are. Um, oh, and the, oh, damn, what's it called? Having a mind blank. Um, let me look it up. Okay, the vernix. <laughs> you know how babies are often uh, born covered in vernix. And um, I don't want to wash that off. I think that is amaz- this amazing uh, like moisturizer that um, is meant, you know, it's been protecting baby's skin while they've been uh, sitting in fluid for the last nine months. And now it's there to help them as they transition into uh, the world of not living in a bubble of um, water. So yeah, we just left that on, we rubbed it in and I can't even remember when we gave Fern a first wash, but I yeah, I reckon it would have been at least a week or something. <laughs> and yeah, we're just with water. Ah, okay, uh, you can choose whether or not you want to have metabolic screening done for your child. We did get this one in the end. Um, whether or not to have a hearing test. <laughs> this told me to just like, again, I understand why some people would do it, but we could very obviously see that Fern's hearing was working right like she would jump or look or react if a really loud noise happened and so to us we were just it just seemed a bit OTT and unnecessary so we skipped that one um you have a choice whether or not you want to have Plunkett or Wellchild visit you and this again is one that I chose not to do and I think that's probably like a pretty surprising one realizing that you can opt out of that but I just knew from uh, my midwife and talking to friends and cousins that they wouldn't support a lot of the choices I was making in terms of the way I was bringing fern up so um, breastfeeding on demand bed sharing Um, you know, not starting solids at six months, um, not doing tummy time, you know, just like a whole bunch of things that I just decided, you know, I weighed up the benefits and the risks and everything. And I decided that I didn't think it was necessary. And I actually didn't need that stress and that pressure of a nurse showing up in my home and making me feel like, Um, I wasn't making the right choices and I wasn't doing a good job looking after my baby when I was making choices and doing things that felt instinctually really right for me. So um, I decided against that and I'm so glad that I did, you guys. Um, Okay, the last one. It's a biggie, you guys, and that is vaccinations. Now, I think that vaccinations are probably like one of the most sensitive and controversial subjects out there Um, and I know a lot of people are afraid to you know spark up a conversation with someone about them or share their opinion especially if they've chosen not to vaccinate because um, yeah it's just a subject that people have a lot of feelings and emotions and opinions about strong opinions about Um. But I do want to share a bit about them. So for me personally, I'm not anti-vaccinations, but I haven't yet been convinced that they are as safe and effective as we're led to believe or as safe and effective as the government pushes on us and leads us to believe. Um, And I think that it's really important that everyone knows what is actually in these vaccines and that there are potential negative side effects before choosing to give them to their child. So I'd say this is just one of the most common things where the government very strongly only shows one side of the argument and they have massive campaigns around vaccinations, you guys. The latest one, I saw a little uh, comic the other day it said FOMO and it was, um, oh damn, what did it stand for? Fear of the measles outbreak. I think that was it. Uh, I'll have to double check. Um, and it was a campaign, like literally trying to invoke fear into people about 
the measles that's been going around New Zealand at the moment to get them to go and vaccinate. Um, and yeah, that's just, it's one of the things I don't, I really don't like is making a decision out of fear because I don't think that's coming from a right place. And yeah, to realize that um, sometimes they actually use these fear tactics to get people to vaccinate their kids, like that, that worries me a bit. Um, so I just had a few points I wanted to share with you guys, things that I want you to question and do your own research into. Um, because if you go to get these vaccinations, right, like you go and they don't say anything to you about potential negative side effects or risks or um, things that could go wrong. You're just you're just given it and they just push it so strongly without sharing the other side. So the first question I want you to think about is, do they truly prevent the illnesses they were designed to prevent? So, for example, there's some research that shows... Um, okay, so back in the day, we used to have these big epidemics, right, of illnesses that killed a lot of people. So, for example, polio or diphtheria. Um, and they have graphs that show the the rates of people who had these illnesses. And there's these massive spikes, and it was so high. Um, and But it actually starts decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. And that's actually when the vaccine is, um, was brought in, when it had already decreased dramatically and was already on its way out, um, is when the vaccine was brought in, yet the vaccines were given credit for getting rid of that disease. Um, and so one theory or way of looking, of, of way of understanding that is... Um, that a lot of basic hygiene practices we have these days, we didn't used to have back then. And so disease spread so much faster. Like this is literally back to when they would just dump their, the, um, what's the word? Like dump whatever was in there. No, it's not called a potty. What's that word of what they used to have? Um, okay, you guys know what I mean. Um, just dump that out the window onto the streets, like they're toileting waste, right? Like, and I mean, if you think about that, like people are literally walking through poo as they're walking down the street. I mean, they're not washing hands. They're not washing themselves. There's no, um, none of that kind of like sanitary protection. And that's kind of sounding a bit con like it contradicts what I was saying before about how I don't believe in being too clean. There's a balance, right? Um, and I think, oh, and of course, like living in very like crowded, dirty conditions, like it's just very understandable that the diseases were passed on so quickly into so many people. Oh, and like the quality of their drinking water was terrible. Like the sewage was like running into their drinking water as well. So, um that's just one example or even with which one was it um oh typhoid fever actually died out all by itself like again there were huge epidemics died out kind of like all around the same time and there wasn't even widespread vac vaccination of that so that does tend to support that theory um another thing is that the vaccinations we're given don't give you lifelong immunity the way to get lifelong immunity from these diseases is to catch them and to, you know, have that illness and come out the other side and you're better. That's how you develop immunity to it. That is real immunity. Um, but with the vaccinations, they found that sometimes they haven't actually worked the first time. And so that's why you're often given a booster, um, which is like a top up of the vaccine. And you know, you sometimes have to have multiple ones of these, like every 10 years or whatever. Um, <clears throat> yeah, things to think about. The next one is, um, yeah, I just, sorry, I was just, I was stopping myself because I could go into a lot of detail on this topic. 
but um, I, I don't want to overload you with information. I also want you to do your own research. So I'm just, I'm just going to stick to, to what I had written down. Um, so the next thing to think about is the toxicity of vaccine components more harmful than is understood? So this is like you can Google online um, and find out exactly what ingredients are in each individual vaccine. And some of the more worrying components are mercury, aluminium, and formaldehyde, as these can damage a child's brain, their immune system, and their nervous system. So uh, another thing to think about. Um, and then the idea that, and this is this is a new a new perspective for me, you guys. Um, that I read not so long ago and it just really like clicked and made sense to me and felt right to me Um, and I think is what I'm actually beginning to believe is that the idea that maybe children actually need to go through these illnesses and come out the other side um, and when they do they come out stronger and healthier than before and I've heard stories of parents who say after their child's, you know, had measles or had chickenpox or whatever it was, that they have these huge developmental leaps afterwards. And that, um, and I found that super interesting. And you know, now they've got this lifelong immunity. And um, in a book I read, there was actually an example of. Uh, a sickness, I think it was it to do with the lungs or the kidney or something, that is actually cured if a child gets measles. It actually goes away. So, yeah, super, super interesting. Um, so I just wanted to present some other options to you guys. So if, if you're hearing a lot of this information for the first time and going, okay, I always thought, like, vaccinations were good, but now I realize they're is actually another side to the story. I do want to know more. Um, yeah, there are other options. It's not all or nothing, right? So one of those choices is choosing to delay the vaccine. So um, here in New Zealand or whatever country you're in, there will be a vaccination schedule where, um, you know, our one says the first slot are at six weeks and then the next one, three months, five months, 15 months. But at each of these times, your baby is getting given, being given a lot of vaccination. So, for example, the six-week one, let me just check. You're having one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Your baby is being given eight different vaccines. And that's not eight individual, like, injections or whatever because um, a bunch of them uh, combine these days. But, and then boosters like repeated second dose of all those same eight are given at three months and um, seven of them are given again at five months um yeah so one thing and I don't actually know the exact research behind it but I can um, take a guess is choosing to delay all of those vaccines until your child is at least two years old um so think it's just to do with how much developing your baby is doing in those first two years that if you allow them to get all through that without being you know injected with this fake form of um a, a, a disease along with a whole bunch of other um different ingredients that yeah it just gives them a better chance and they're a lot older and stronger and healthier and able to fight that vaccine um, a bit better but you know even if you just delay them until your child is one or even if you do the first lot and you know spread them out like say yeah I'll have the first lot but then I want to wait six months um, until the next lot you um the your the doctor or nurse or whoever might not be happy about you uh, making that choice but you do have the right to make that choice um, here in New Zealand anyway and uh, yeah have them when when you feel right. Um, you can do your research and choose to have some and not others so for example the chickenpox vaccine is one that's just been added to our schedule more recently like just in the last couple of years um, and you know you hear chickenpox it doesn't like spark like 
um, a great fear in you, right? Chickenpox to me is just something that most people have when they're a kid and everyone mostly turns out fine, right? But that's now been added and is now a vaccine that's given. And you might decide like, okay, some of these other ones are really serious. Like I know, you know, you can die from them. There's really bad possible complications. Like I, I'm making the choice to have my child vaccinated against these, but I'm going to choose to not have the chickenpox one because that just doesn't seem necessary to me. So that's another option um, you might potentially make. Or the MMR vaccine, for example, is particularly known to have um, a high rate of adverse reactions. So um, after children have been given that one. So you might go, okay, I don't want my child to have that one. Um, and something that I've looked into is with that MMR one, it seems to be the specific combination of those three. So MMR is the measles, mumps, and rubella. Individually, they don't seem to be anywhere near as bad and it doesn't have the adverse reactions. It's just that combined one. Um, and in a Facebook group that I'm in, there was some really interesting chat about whether or not you could have them done separately and choose to have, you know, one or two, but not them all combined or just them all separately. But um, I think the outcome of that discussion was that um, we don't have that option here in New Zealand to separate them. Um, the ones that are combined, that like that's, that's the only option. So I just wanted to say that um, it's super important that if you do choose to go down this, path of um, n either not vaccinating or just doing some or just uh, yeah doing things a little bit differently when it comes to vaccinations that it's super important to educate yourself and um, how to naturally help uh, your child through the illness um, with things like oh I mean this is just in general right like yeah, so say I choose to not vaccinate Fern, then um, I know that she's not going to be at such a high risk if she's eating a super, super healthy, nutrient-rich diet. Like, you know, that's giving her a really good head start. So if she does get one of these illnesses, she's not going to get it anywhere near as bad. Whereas if she was, you know, if she was unhealthy and if she was like, um, an immune compromised child like had uh, a separate illness like that which meant her immune system was compromised like it would be such a different decision for me because you know it means these illnesses can affect them and um, you know take a much bigger hit on that child than a standard healthy child but because Fern you know is super healthy and we're um, aware of all these things and we give her a good diet um, that we have actually made the decision not to give her any vaccinations so far and that's not to say that we never will um, and yeah I just for me personally I just w want to continue to have a super open and curious mind about it and I'm so open to anyone sharing research or thoughts or ideas or um or anything and you know like science is always changing right like our ideas and our thinking at the moment is based on certain research but in five or ten years you know there might be some very different research showing actually what we thought used to be good for you isn't actually um yeah so I think it's just so important to stay open and just constantly reassess depending on where you're at where the research is at and and what you know um but sorry back to the point I was making about uh, being knowledgeable about nursing your child through the illness as well and I went to a really great course which I recommend called Authentic Resistance and they do them in a bunch of spots around the country um, I will put the link in the show notes of how to get to their page and find out where their courses are but they um they speak a lot about vaccines and the history of them and share both sides of the story, the benefits and the risks. Um, but they also share about homeopathy and how you can use it to um, naturally support 
your body through an illness and I had like yeah I had no idea about homeopathy before having fern um but I've loved delving into that world and we've actually ended up using it quite a bit with fern so far just even for really small things like teething or who just being out of sorts um and I've had really good results with it so yeah I personally can recommend it and know that it's working well for us at the moment um or even like we even used it on Dylan once when he had this terrible like terrible headache like couldn't even get up or move or anything and um a fever and just yeah all sorts of like yeah Dylan just never gets sick so for him to have something bad like that was like what's going on um but yeah we were able homeopathy helped him to feel a whole lot better and yeah like I said it, it naturally supports your body um instead of just like you know covering up the symptoms or whatever um, and knowing how to nurse your child through a fever, that's another big one. So often a fever is seen as a bad thing, right? Like in, uh, Fern's never had a bad one, so I can't actually speak to the experience, but I can only imagine that it's super scary, right? Like your child is burning up and they seem really, really sick. And, um, what is people's go-to, um, oh we've never had it in the house I don't know what it is Pamel I think is is that what you give babies um when they have a fever so they give them that because you know like every parent is wanting to just to help their child right and do what's best for them and the child seems to get a bit seems to get better and so um <clears throat> yeah I understand why you do that but the reality of it is that fever if monitored and you know like Obviously, if it's super high, you need to go get help. But um, if you're watching it and you have the knowledge and everything to uh, safely nurse your child through it, going through that fever is exactly what needs to happen for your child to get through that illness. And it's the body's response. And it's not a bad one. It's a good one because it means that it's fighting that illness and helping to get it out of your body. Um, Yeah, so just knowing, having... The, the whole like knowledge is power thing, right? Like having that knowledge and the confidence so that um, if, if and when these situations do arise, you know how to safely get your child through it or you know, okay, this is the extent of my knowledge that so I need to reach out and ask for help or take them to the doctor or whatever now. Okay, I think that's um, kind of most of what I wanted to say around that massive topic um but ultimately the decision as always is yours and you know what is best for your circumstances and your child so I'm just I'm just literally gonna leave you guys with that because I'm sure it's given you a lot to think of um lot to sorry a lot to think about if you have any questions about anything that I've shared today, you want to know more, you'd like some resources, um, yeah, to make more of an informed decision, as always, reach out. I'm so happy to help as much as I can or to pass you on to someone else who's more knowledgeable in that area. Um, sending me a message on Instagram is probably easiest or, yeah, the contact form through my website. Um works well as well so I'm crunchy mama on Instagram and mama is m-a-m-a I'll just leave you guys with a little update on us um Fern Fern's moving a lot more now she's a lot more mobile probably since I last recorded a podcast for you guys um she started rolling over onto her tummy she rolls so easily back and forward back and forward all the time and um, and at the moment she's in that stage where she can push herself backwards but hasn't got up into the crawling yet. We've, um, our weeks mostly consist of going to our Tareo Immersion Play Centre group on a Tuesday morning um, and then we have our Tareo class on Tuesday evening. We also have been going to start going to the cute little music at the library free sessions. Um, Fern just like lights up whenever she hears music. So those have been fun to start going to. 
Um, and one of the highlights of my week as well is actually we started back up at our RAE class this term. Um, and RAE stands for Respectful in- Infant Educators, which is like the most random name ever and I don't still don't really understand it. But the philosophy and everything um, and most of what they do, I really, really love. And if you follow me on Instagram, you probably see me share a lot of Janet Lansbury. Um, and that's the um, a lot of what she shares. And the um, original woman behind it are... Magda Gerber and I think is it Emmy oh I'm gonna get a name wrong Emmy Pickler or Emmy yeah okay <laughs> you can you can google that one um but yeah I'm I'm learning so much from those classes basically what it looks like is uh you walk into the room and the lady Sharon who runs it she's so lovely and it's just this beautiful calming quiet confident presence and she just welcomes you in and you just instantly like just go ah and just like relax into the space she's created and there's a whole bunch of toys set up in the room but it's not your standard like you know plastic noisy loud super interactive and crazy toys um it's all these really simple items like a wooden spoon um cups balls uh and then it gets into the biggest or maybe like just kind of like tea towel cloth things almost and then there's bigger structures like ramps and little stairs to go up and down um and basically the children just have free play to do what they want but you know a lot of them are just still at the stage where they're lying on their back or their stomach and can't move that far but and I just get to sit there for an hour and a half and just observe fern and it might not sound like much and you know sometimes Dylan's like are you really paying to go to this? But you have to, um, you have to experience it to, to understand and see the magic in it. Um, and it's all about what Sharon shares during the class and um, is largely about the interactions that happen between the babies. But yeah, I will share more on that soon, you guys. That'll be um, a whole nother podcast. Yeah, which I really can't wait to share with you more about. But okay. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. And yeah, if you feel like you've been challenged by anything I've shared today, maybe just like take a breath and stop and just like look at that and remember, um, just to not take anything personally and that the best approach is one of being curious to everybody's opinion and, and using that information to then form your own. Um, yeah. And just remember that everyone sees the world so differently. Um, yeah, but sending so much love to you and your little ones, wherever you guys are today. And I will talk to you again soon.